Welcome to Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and joining me today is Krati Mera. Krati is a powerhouse behind the Experable podcast, a platform dedicated to exploring the realms of self-empowerment and personal growth. Through her coaching and writing, she commits to empowering mission-focused individuals to take fearless action on their ambitions. She advocates for building a powerful personal identity, fostering resilient character, and nurturing better emotional health, key elements she promises to deliver through her work. In our conversation, we'll explore how Krati's approach empowers individuals to shape their destiny effectively and independently. We will dive into her strategies for optimizing both physical and mental performance and discuss how these contribute to a balanced, successful life. Reflecting on our shared journey as childhood bookworms, Krati and I bring a deep appreciation for reading that has influenced our paths to empowerment and self-discovery. So you'll hear me refer to that a few times. While Krati's background includes overcoming significant personal challenges, Today's conversation focuses on the future, how we can remove barriers of fear and self-doubt to unlock our true potential. We'll explore the shaping of destiny through character and the pursuit of success, happiness, and a balanced life. Join us as Krati shares her insights on living a life defined not by fears or societal narratives, but by our truest ambitions and dreams. And with that, I bring you Krati. Welcome to Access Ideas, Krati. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. I'm really interested in understanding how people overcome challenges. You've been really honest on your podcast about overcoming anger issues. You know, you've mentioned that in a few episodes. And then you've mentioned how some people have been uh, early in your life, accusing you of things like being blunt or or too opinionated or maybe too mm-hmm. strong a personality. But now you are a coach. But I'm also interested in you as a person and sort of how did you overcome that isolation and that lonerness so that you could get the benefit of a strong social network and have all the richness that that brings beyond books and learning? I mean, I totally understand how books are amazing, they enrich our lives, but having people and relationships is a whole other level. So I really want to hear about that. So what the first thing, first things first, I don't feel isolated. That is something you have to understand. That is the challenge I have explaining to people. This is something very, very few, or I don't think anyone other than my best friend gets. For me, I I don't ever get lonely. I'm always very, 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 very happy to be by myself. That's one of the reasons why I get up at 3 a.m. in the morning. There is pin drop silence, pin drop silence. And silence to me is euphoric. It's It makes me actively happy. The other thing is the clients that I deal with today are people very mission-oriented. They have goals. What their challenges are is that they don't perhaps believe that they're up to scratch. They, they, they don't have quite what it takes to uh, achieve those goals. So when you coach, you are very, very client focused. So you become whatever your client needs you to be as long as you and that client is compatible. A lot of people came to me for help who were not, we were not quite the right fit. Some people were so immersed in their trauma that they perhaps ne- they needed more help, uh, help oriented towards 
you know, trauma recovery. Let's pause there for a second, because I think one thing you've done among the many amazing things you've talked about on your podcast that I really was struck by is the proliferation of social media therapy posts and people kind of digesting these little bits of therapy advice and and then maybe pathologizing themselves because they think I am somebody with ADHD, that's all I am. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about your conversations, um, and I listened to a few recent ones, but you did a great job at just getting super incisive, getting right to the point, is that you want to help people actually confront the root causes of what their problems are so that they can overcome that and grow. But so many people are in this comfort zone of trauma uh, orientation. And my opinion is, and I'm sure this isn't totally scientific, but it seems like a lot of people are just habituated to unhappiness. And it's literally become comfortable to be unhappy. You have overcome incredible challenges, you know, going to another country for school, overcoming depression, managing anger, going to therapy, having your amazing podcast. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about how character building all of this was, but more importantly, how it shapes our life path. I mean, part of you must sometimes wonder what your life might have been if you had not overcome those challenges. Maybe if you'd kept yourself and, you know, stayed a bookworm at home and and you hadn't gone out and you hadn't overcome those things. Let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. uh, Considering what you said about people, you know, clinging to their comfort zone, even if it keeps them small, I think that happens because a lot of people have learned to prioritize other people's opinions over their own, other people's perception of them over their own self-image. And if they are able to get validation, which is so easy to find these days, yes. then that allows you to stay where you currently are. So if I want to stay in that comfort zone, and if I'm spinning a story about trauma is a very, there is a lot of gravity around that term, and it should be treated as such. Trauma is a very, very, it's serious business. It is no joke. So if someone has genuine trauma, they definitely need help, and they can for sure, they can take their time with it. Because somebody who's like, look at what's happening in the world right now. If somebody is in the thick of those things and they're in the middle of it, I would not, I am not equipped to help those people. They need professional help. They should go get it for sure. Mm-hmm. But stay clinging to your pain and using that pain as permission to not play big in life or not to, to really get off the sidelines at all, that is problematic. And that I would not want that for anyone. So we do that when we go online and we say, oh, look, I have depression or I have a lot of anxiety. That is why I like to not go out for more than an hour. I don't I can't do public events. I can't sit in a conference. You will always find someone who will be like, same here. I can't either. And I'm here for you. I will support you through this. And then there are forums and there are communities that will surround you. They will support you. And what they don't do is push you to do better. That, okay, today was a bad day. Tomorrow can be better. But that can only be better if you do things differently tomorrow. It's almost like trauma is becoming an identity. Like, I am now somebody who can't go out in public, and that's who I'll always be. And I have friends who can't go out in public either, and we talk about it online and we complain. I'm being a little facetious here. But this is what I like about your work, Krati, is that you are confronting this sort of identity-focused on our problems. And you know this through your own life path because you've overcome this. And I think this is what's so inspiring. So 
Just as an example, you've been very honest about sometimes having to turn people away. You're not the right coach for them. What are the sorts of questions you would ask someone to get to that attitude to really understand, are they the right client for you? I think it becomes very clear. The first thing that I do is I, if you have just come in to a session with me or maybe a Zoom call, whatever, I'll allow you to speak. My first question is always, what brings you to this call? Why are you here? Why are you looking for coaching? And then they'll start talking. And as they're talking about the issues that they're facing, it's always there are two kinds of people. Somebody who comes in and says, oh, I am facing this challenge. I failed at public speaking when I was 13 years old, 14 years old. I want to today become a public speaker I don't know if I can do that. I have nightmares about failing and stuttering and falling off the stage. And how can you help me overcome that? That is the help that I need. That is someone who's looking, actively looking to change and make things better. And they have this very clear goal that they want to achieve. Then there are some people who come in and they're like, I don't like how my life is going. I am stuck. I've been stuck for a very long time. I don't know what I want. What I do know is that I do not want this, what I currently have. Great. That is, that's, those are the kind of people that I really believe I can help. But then some people will come in and they'll give me all of these. Maybe they have clarity. Maybe they don't have clarity. Maybe they have clear goals. Maybe they don't have clear goals. But then as they start talking, they are talking more about their family, their friends, the world, and how it's so unsupportive, how there are these systemic issues, how the system is rigged, how nothing is going in their favor. Those are the people who are looking for validation. They, they will never enjoy being told that, no, this, it's not all external. There are, there's, you have so much power in your hands. You can do a lot with your resources. Let's talk about that. Let's give you back your power. They're not going to like that because they're not there yet. You can go to a lot of self-improvement workshops, conferences. You can read a whole ton of books. But unless you're actually at that point where you are ready to start taking action, focused on yourself, action that work and process that never is about other people, but is always about you. Whatever the state of my life is my fault. Unless you're a child, that is true. If you're an adult and if you are... Look, there are always there are people who are living in places where there's active abuse going on. But even in those situations, I have myself first met women who've come out of those very, very abusive places. They've, they've never had any power in their hands. Somehow they found it and they were able to get out of those situations. So if they can do it, then anyone can do it. That is something that has become very clear to me. So those are the clients I turn away. People who are who would rather blame other people who are... And I get it. I get why that happens. I'm sure I've been guilty of that behavior as well. But you can be helped only when you're ready to be helped. That I, I can't drag you to that place. That is not my job. I yeah. agree. I agree. But do you think it's possible for everybody to be helped? Mm -hmm. Or do you think there's some people that are simply never going to be willing to take accountability? There is no answer to that question. I don't think, <laughs> I think that would depend. I think everyone can be helped 100%. Okay. Everyone can have a better life, have a very uh, goal-driven, awesome, powerful life. But you have to want that enough to do the work. And even if that work is very, very painful and requires you to confront who you've become, that that is something that I had to do as when I was in depression. The reason that I, I reached out to someone and asked for help was I collapsed in the middle of the road. 
at oh, night wow. in a place that is that was extremely unsafe. And I remember then dragging myself back home. I could barely walk. And then I fell on the bathroom floor. I slept. I spent the night there. I woke up in the morning so disgusted with myself. I looked at myself and I thought, this is who I've become. And if my mother walked in right now and saw me like this, I've my I have so much respect for my mother. She's an amazingly strong woman. And I I would be destroyed if I ever lost my mother's trust and respect for me. So I think that pushed me. I was like, okay, this this is it. This cannot be my reality anymore. And I will do whatever it takes to be better. And the work started the very next day. In fact, the very same day I reached out to someone. I got a mentor for myself. I started going to workshops. I did the. I was given brutal criticism. I took it and I ran with it. I was like, okay, but this is who I am today. Today, tomorrow, I'm going to be different, and you're going to be saying very different things about me. So, you kind of have to keep the power in your own hands. Yeah. But what do you think the role? What is the role of compassion and self-compassion? What do those words mean to you when it comes to your life and to coaching? So compassion for others means not judging them by my standards, not judging them based on how I view the world or what my experience has been. So maybe I am capable, immensely capable of certain things, but maybe my client is not quite there yet. So it is very important not to let, to not to get impatient with them. Because if I find it very, very easy to get on a podcast and interview people and give interviews and write and have my thoughts be known to millions of readers, that would be a huge, huge struggle for someone else. So that compassion, especially like in a specifically in a coaching uh, setting would mean for me remembering how I struggled the first time I tried to write an article and publish it online, how terrified I was, even though I had no audience at the time and I was publishing it on my own website. So probably no more than 12 or 20 people were reading it, but I was still so terrified and I did not want my private life to be out there, but I did it. So you kind of have to bring all of that patience with yourself. You kind of have to initially, like in the initial days, treat your client like a kid who is exploring the world right now and is not yet in that stage where they are taking very decisive action. So that is compassion. You kind of have to remember that everybody is bringing their own story, their own experiences, their experiences that are, there are a lot of negativity there. Probably there's a lot of pain there. That is probably why they're struggle, struggling. Sorry, um, And self-compassion for me means holding myself accountable. Self-compassion means learning to tell the difference between strength and aggression, self-love and self-indulgence, and always making sure that I'm growing. I think self-compassion looks different for everyone. I think it's a different experience for everyone. For me, growth is important. It is very important for me to be able to respect myself. So self-compassion in my case means making sure that there is constant growth, holding myself accountable, holding myself to a higher standard. But on the day that I fail, figuring out why I failed and then get, cutting myself some slack, letting myself be okay with the failure, with the mindset that tomorrow I'm going to work harder, do better. But today I get to take the day off. Today I get to wallow in this this pit of despair that I've got within myself and I get to deal with my emotions, cry maybe, indulge in some Netflix perhaps, and then tomorrow <laughs> it's it's back to work. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. You've talked a little bit about David Goggins as someone who really impresses mm. you and and recommended his books. And for those who listen who those who are listening who might not know, David Goggins is known as a bit of an extreme athlete. 
And he has this get hard slogan. He's on social media. He had a great interview with the Huberman Lab podcast on January 1st. Um, And I think I recently changed my mind about David Goggins. I used to think he was just a masochist. And I was like, okay, whatever floats his boat, but I'm not a masochist. Then I saw this interview with Huberman and I thought, because Huberman brings up this whole idea of the anterior cingulate or anterior mid-cingulate cortex part of the brain, which is really involved in emotional regulation, decision-making, cognitive controlled behavior. But the key was that the only way to get that part of the brain to grow is to do stuff you don't like that's challenging. So, you know, Goggins is famous for going out and running these these intense marathons and and doing so in an injured state, obviously in some amount of pain. Um, And so he, you know, he doesn't talk about it in this scientific way, but that interview helped me understand there's actually a biological thing happening here. When we challenge ourselves to do hard things that we don't like to do specifically, and we do them, you know, chances are we like doing them or we learn how to like doing them, which they cease to be challenging and this just becomes part of us, but it's helpful or it serves us. Or we have Mm -hmm. to keep finding new things that we don't like to do to keep ourselves accountable, to keep growing, to keep challenged. And so what I really liked about your conversation when you were bringing up Goggins and apologies for taking so long to get to my point, but I really wanted to paint a little bit of a backstory there, is the idea of building character and how you are so intent on helping people to build a strong character and in helping people to challenge themselves and push themselves further than maybe that they believe they were capable of. So what I'd love to hear from you now is some of the strategies for building this, whether it's optimizing wellness and cognitive abilities. Um, You know, you've talked a little bit about yourself, Krati, about, you know, you have these amazing skills being a podcast host that many people would be totally lost. They wouldn't be able to do that. But let's say someone comes to you and says, I want to learn how to do public speaking, or I want to show up with confidence in front of my team at work. Talk a little bit about how you walk through the strategy or how you coach people to build resilience, and abilities to overcome their fears. Okay, I think, first of all, Goggins is, I think he should be treated as an example of uh, what is possible. I think he's this amazing, amazing example of what human beings are capable of. You can be Goggins. You don't necessarily have to be Goggins because I think he's (laughs) for sure definitely a very extreme person. And I think he has his own demons and he has his own something to prove to himself, I think, which is, I think it's great. Uh, Again, I've always prioritized my own opinion over everyone else's opinion. I think when it comes to character building, when it comes to building resilience, that is something you have to be, I think that helps, immensely helps to turn your focus inward, to want to win yourself over, to look in the mirror and be able to say that I love what I'm seeing, I respect what I'm seeing. As long as your external, I think fear, that is where fear comes in. Why fear is so strong is fear is, I think, in my opinion, a lot about ego. It's not that we are afraid to fail. It's that we are afraid of looking bad when we fail, of being mocked when we fail. It's mostly about ego. So I think if you want to build character, you want to be more resilient, be more confident, do great things, whatever. I think that's where you have to start. You have to... Start prioritizing your own opinion over everyone else's opinion. If you can win yourself over at the end of the day, it's fine, even if everybody hates you. 
I know that's I extreme. And that. I, I know that. No, I love that <laughs> phrase. I love that phrase, win yourself over. That is so powerful. I love yeah. it. And of course, this, this work happens every day. Every morning, you are going to start over because not every day you're going to be able to win yourself over. Think of yourself as the hottest <laughs> chick in school. Not every day you're going to be able to make her laugh and hold her attention. But you have to try every day. That is what I'm saying. And here's the deal with that. I think the very starting point that I like to do, this is work I like to do with my clients, is become very, very clear about what matters to you, your value system, what your priorities are, and who you want yourself to be. I like it when I look at myself and I see someone disciplined, someone strong. I'd never, I'm never okay with someone, I would never want anyone's pity. I sure as do not want my pity. So I do not ever want to be an object of pity for anyone, someone anybody would ever feel sorry for. Even at my most painful, I have always put, perhaps in those moments, it was a facade, but I always made sure that I came across as someone very strong. Um, mm. It's not that I'm not comfortable with vulnerability. I am, but I'm not comfortable being, as I said, an object of pity. Yeah. What does that mean for you? So... When I'm in therapy with someone, I'm happy to talk about my pain, but I would never want even my therapist to have this idea that I'm down and out and I don't know how to pick myself up off the floor. Um, it's definitely vulnerability can be so many things to, you know, everyone has a different idea of it. But for me, vulnerability is leaning on someone without forgetting that I am very, very capable of standing on my own. I will never be someone who will allow someone else to carry all of my weight. That just is, I'm never going to be able to do that. So going back to building resilience, this is where what I want you to start with. So become very, very clear about who, how you want to see yourself, who you want to be, what your values are, what you want to prioritize in life. How do you get somebody to write a list of who they want to be, how they want to show up in the world? Or do you have a, uh, an exercise where people can start to actually visualize who they want to be? You can do it anyways. The, the important thing is to get to that clear picture. You'll be surprised. I mean, I've had clients who uh, came up with like one thing, just one thing. And i I thought that was incredible. That was so, they would come in the first session we would have before we have, you know, created a custom plan for them. And they're talking about how weak they are, how lacking they are. And then I'm like, okay, this is how you feel today. That's fine. Then we we start planning things. And then I give them this task. It's a very initial task that they get. Come up with a value system for yourself. Come up with something you're going to prioritize. And they come up with like one thing. And they don't even realize how in how much strength that takes to pick this one thing you're going to do and you're going to go at it all cylinders firing. And that's amazing to me. They would give me, I, I want to be someone who is strong for his family. That is, there is strength in being able to say that. Not many people can even say that. So mm -hmm. once, so whether you do visualization, whether you make a list, whether you create a story for yourself, some people enjoy that. Some people enjoy creating stories for themselves. So however you do it, that's not important. What is important is you get to this clear picture of yourself. This is who I want to be. Not maybe I'm not this person today. Maybe it will take me five years. Maybe it will take me 10 years. But this is what I'm working towards. The, the beautiful thing about building character and not just pursuing goals is that when you pursue a goal, you're only pursuing a goal. But when you f are very character focused, you're building a life. You're playing mm. the long game. See, I think let's stop there for just a second, because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people confuse these two. I think I've probably yeah. confused these two in my own life. How do you help people understand the difference? 
Because some people might think, well, you know, running a marathon is what I want my life to become. I'm just being facetious here. Again, it's silly. But how do you get people to grasp the difference between goal setting and and character visualization and transformation? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think your example is, the, the example that you shared is very valid. Wanting to run a marathon, why do you want to do that? What is driving you to run a marathon? It's challenging work. Why do you want to do it? So unless you're trying to make yourself look good to someone else, that's different. Again, there is a conversation to be had even with that. But if why you want to run a marathon is because you want to be fit. Well, okay, so here what you get out of that one line is that I want to see myself as someone healthy. I want to be someone yeah. healthy. So your yeah. one of your values is being health-oriented being health-focused, treating your body with a lot of respect. That is a value. And that plays into your character. So just getting up every morning and doing yoga or every going to the gym every day, that is not where the focus is. That can be a goal that you pursue. But a, a character, when it comes to character, it will be the value that you focus on. And being healthy can be done in a lot of ways. This is one of the things about New Year resolution. That is why New Year resolution are kind of laughable is because we always pick these outlandish extreme things we want to do what we should be doing is okay I want to skydive why do you want to skydive that's crazy no I want to skydive because I want to challenge myself like that I want to be someone who has the guts and the gumption to jump out of it out of a helicopter so you Mm. want to see yourself as someone very courageous someone capable of doing extreme tasks that is a value that plays into your character and that will not just be done by through skydiving. That can be done in a lot of ways. So even if you end up throughout 2024 never skydiving and fail to achieve that newest resolution, you can still have developed your character if all you did was get up on a stage and deliver a speech in front of people. Or you had that very difficult conversation with with your parent or your spouse where you let them know, you've been hurting me, please stop. These are my boundaries. You will not cross them again. It can be something as simple as, you know, just just picking up all the bills that you've been avoiding, that the envelopes have been piling up and you simply have not had the guts to look at them. Something, even something like that. Because it depends on where you're starting from, right? I, I can never skydive. Not in a million years would I skydive. <laughs> I do not have the, but I still see myself as an immensely courageous person. Okay, sure. I just have, sure. it's, uh, it's my roller coasters and skydiving is just not for me. You, oh, you get, do you get what I'm that's saying? Consi- that's consistent with an introvert personality. It's very consistent. So, <laughs> so funny enough, I'm an introvert, but one of my dreams is to do skydiving one day, but grandma won't let me. So I'm just joking. But I mean, I actually did bungee jumping one time and it was one of the best minutes of my life. I love roller coasters. So I feel like I'm a bit of a fragile <laughs> okay, okay, uh, introvert cool. here. I, I, don't, I don't fit, the, I don't fit the, the cookie cutter thing, but whatever. It, it works. Awesome. Um, That's great. I admire people like, who can do it. Though. I start, I get into very like, okay, why am I doing this? This is crazy. You're jumping out of a helicopter. What is wrong with you? <laughs> what has to break inside your brain to do this? Well, but it's only because because I don't want to do it. I, it's so not, I did try like this extreme roller coaster, one of the um, highest um, slide in Europe. Yeah. And yeah. I white knuckled it. Like at no point did I say, oh, well, how much fun. Look how glorious. No, I white knuckled it. I don't want to <laughs> endure something that goes nowhere. It's a roller coaster ride. It's not curing cancer. So I'll jump from a helicopter if it cures cancer. I'll do it. But otherwise, no. 
<laughs> Fair enough. But I think you have another super I think you have another superpower, Kati. And a lot of people don't have this and they probably look at you in awe because of it. And that is your ability to buckle down and focus and enjoy your own company in silence. Like you just you, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier the power of silence and getting up early. Totally relate to that. I love I love being up early in the morning. Um, But a lot of people struggle with this. They feel uneasy. They feel like they need the reassurance of other people around them, the sort of hustle and bustle. But maybe this is where you're especially gifted as a coach because you can can Mm -hmm. show people how to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So maybe talk a little bit about the ability that you've learned to be yourself in the face of societal expectations and stereotypes. You know, you've talked about that a little bit in terms of your past, but this is something that's so intrinsic to you, I feel. How do you mm-hmm. help clients with this? Because this is is a common problem where people are so dependent on external opinion, as you just mentioned. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. I think um, all of those rejections that I experienced growing up um, it wasn't just friends who rejected me. I think my parents always uh, enjoyed themselves more around my elder sibling. <laughs> uh, the compliments we would get is my brother is the life of the party. He's the fun one. And when it would come to me, they would be like, she's good at studies. She's a good student. And it's like, <laughs> dude, that is, so, <laughs> that is so about my achievement that it has nothing to do with me as a person. So am I that unpleasant to you? So it became apparent to my little you know, little Krati, it was very clear to her that she's not liked by people. She'll ne- probably never have friends. Even her po- parents have a hard time liking her. So it was either drown in all of that opinion or I think build this hard outer shell and survive. I think that was my, there is, you know, we have certain innate qualities. My, I've always been a survivor. I've always been a fighter. I will never allow you to tell me how I should feel about myself. I will never let your opinions hold sway over my own. That's something I think I've shared many times during this conversation. Mm. So that happened, I think, at that age itself. And something else that I realized was if I'm sharing my things with people, if I'm letting them hog the swing that my father bought for my use, but I'm letting all of these people who do not want to be friends with me, but have shown up, showed up today to play on that swing, if I let them have their time with that swing, they're going to like me better. So what became very clear to me is that people are very capricious. People will change their opinions based on whether you're agreeing with them or you're disagreeing with them, whether you are taking their side or not. They'll if you're willing to subvert your needs to theirs, they're going to like you more. If you're going to silence your opinion to let them have their say, they'll like you more. I did not want to do any of those things. I thought that was very stupid. So, so that's a little Krati's opinion, right? So you have to look at it from that lens. Um, I grew up with that knowledge sort of dominating my life, that people are capricious, people will cha- are very fickle, they'll change their opinions very quickly. It. I don't want, I don't care about being liked by these people. Hmm. I think that really dominated my personality. That made it possible for me to be more self-focused, to not care so much about what people thought of me. The other thing when it comes to enjoying your own company, I think you also, people are very hard on themselves when they talk about this. They're always like, oh, I could never do that. Well, you, you believe that because you've, because all of us, we have grown up in a world where people are always surrounded and always stimulated. We just don't know how to be silent. We just don't know how to be by ourselves because that is just not what we are, we, we are used to. 
So you kind of, instead of, you know, taking yourself off to some mountaintop where you're trying to spend time with yourself, that is going to be too extreme for someone who's never been alone. And you're going to fail at that. And then you're going to come back with an even uh, with this heavier negative experience. It's going to make you feel, oh, clearly that's not for me. So don't go that far. Try little things. Try to just, you know, like maybe the first 15 minutes of the morning and the last 15 minutes of night. Spend them by yourself, sitting in silence, not meditating even, not doing anything, just sitting silently. Let yourself be bored. The other thing I would say is I think because there is always so much stimulation available, we just, it's so easy to reach for Netflix and or our cell phone, doom scroll on Instagram. I think those are uh, some something you can do is you can start reducing the amount of stimulation you have in your life. That is easy to do. Um, don't remove all of it. Don't give yourself, it's against the, like the new year resolution thing. You just give yourself like a huge, uh, huge challenge. Today, I'm going to go 60 minutes, no stimulation. No, go six minutes without stimulation. <laughs> Next time you're bored, instead of reaching for Netflix, do something that is slower in pace um, and, but may not be, you know, as delightful to you as Netflix is. Netflix is more delightful because it's so easy and it, 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 you know, sort of immerses you in all of this light and sound and just this constant stimulation. Maybe you can reach for a book instead, or maybe you can call up a friend, something that has a slower pace to it and is less in, uh, engaging in the sense, less with the color and the, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with this Coco Melon thing for kids. Hmm. My niece no. watches this. Coco Melon, it's so addictive. You know, there's been a lot of talk going on online about how we're turning our kids into addicts because we're feeding uh. them Coco Melon. And this is, Coco Melon changes videos every three seconds. So it is the thing, like it, uh, YouTube editors, when they teach you a class, they tell you, if you change the scene, the visual every three seconds, you are more likely to hold the attention of your viewer. Now, that's exactly the strategy that Coco Melon uses. And that is exactly what we are um, a victim to as and when we are watching all of these shows and on Netflix and all. So don't blame yourself. To a certain extent, the system is rigged against you. But the thing is, you're an adult. You have, you know, your own faculties. You can use them to fight back. And how you fight back is not giving into all of these tempting options that are available. Instead, reach for something that is, that is a little bit healthier, you know? Yeah. Just, I think people go overboard with the the challenges they set for themselves. You have to start small. I get up at 3 a.m. now, but when I was, I think in my, when I came back from London, I was sleeping after doing my master's. So I was 22, 23 at the time. I was sleeping till noon. I used to sleep oh, wow. till, you know, 12, 12 p.m. quite a difference. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, of course it is. But and that's one of the reasons why I went into depression and my health took such a massive hit. So, it was a gradual process. Now getting up at 3.30, not a problem for me. Something you mentioned a moment ago is the whole idea of boredom. And I think intuitively we resist boredom as though we're going to kill us. Like, ah, like I can't stand in this line <laughs> yeah. at the grocery store. I would literally rather gouge my eyes out watching the most boring video. I'm joking. But there's been a lot of talk about dopamine addiction and dopamine depletion and how we live in a world that is literally designed to constantly give us little hits of dopamine and, you know, the gaming of life or uh, the gaming of shop shopping. 
Can you reflect for a moment on the benefit of boredom? Like, you know, I, I think some people do not grasp, and I certainly didn't when I first heard of that concept. Like, Why would I want to be bored? We don't have to do that anymore. It's not the olden days. But boredom has a value, and you just mentioned that. So let's value. let's delve into that a little bit more. How do you get people to consider the value of boredom and, and confronting their own boredom? You call it boredom, I call it patience. You know, when you stand in, in a queue, to, according to you, it's oh, so boring. According to me, it's a test of my patience. I need my own respect. I know how hard it is for other people to stand in a queue, to hold on to their anger, to not be so reactive. I'm very aware of that. I know people struggle with it. So the fact that I don't gives me quite a kick. It makes me feel very smug. <laughs> so, mm. um, not in a negative way, but it just... When I'm standing in a queue and I'm starting to get impatient, that is how everyone would react, would be by either leaving the place altogether and be like, oh, come back tomorrow, or getting angry at the, the person who is handling the queue or pushing and shoving. I will not do that. I don't want to be to give into those baser instincts. And I identify now those are the baser instincts in today's world where you are pushing and shoving and just giving into your anger, living so instinctively and being so emotionally reactive. One thing is I've lived through that period. It took me into a very dark place. I've been that emotionally reactive. It is not a pleasant place to be. I do not want to go back there. Is there anything that will make you emotionally reactive now? Like, do you have a kryptonite, something that will like flip your switch and you'll lose it? <laughs> For sure, for sure. Uh, this very funny incident happened. One of the things that, um, to answer your question, I'll answer your question first. My kryptonite is my mom. If she ever ah. pushes back and says something like, like we often argue about marriage, I have decided not to get married. And she's always like, you're avoiding responsibility. And to me, that's like, <laughs> what? That is, how can you say that? Have you met me? If somebody else said that to me, I'll be like, Okay, that is, that's what you see when you look at the situation. It's fine. It's your opinion, free country, whatever. I would not fight back. I would not argue with that person. I'll let them have their opinion. But if my mom says or my best friend says that these are people whose opinions I care about, then you trigger me and then we're going to sit down and we're going to figure this out. We're going to talk about this for as long as it takes for you to change your opinion, which is not very nice. I don't like that about myself. I don't like that, mm. you know, I will not let my mom or my best friend walk away with a different opinion. Like, no, you have to see things my way. I love you too much to let you not, uh, you know, see things my way. You have to appreciate my perspective. You've talked about your dad, though, and how you've had to come to accept mm -hmm. that his way of showing love is gifts. And uh, that mm -hmm. kind of made you upset for a while and you had a hard time accepting that. But then you came to realize that's just who he is. He's not going to change. So at what point are you able to accept or teach acceptance if someone's worth keeping in your life versus like fighting to change their mind. See, this is about who he is. He has a huge, there's a huge backstory there because he yeah, was yeah. never given anything in his life. That's how he shows his love. With my mom, it's like, it's, it's a topic that we are fighting about. I remember when I was in um, university, I met this woman. She was a former prostitute. She was now a student. She was studying to be a lawyer. And I, I called my mom up for me. That was, I've, you know, coming from India, that's India is anyway such a conservative country. Things are changing now. But back when I went to university, things were different. I remember calling up my mom and telling her that I met this very courageous, you know, ballsy woman. She was a prostitute. Now she's a student. My mom's like, don't, don't hang out with her. That was her instant reaction. And I was like, what? Why not? 
So you have to understand, it's not that she doesn't believe that a prostitute can, today you can be a prostitute, tomorrow you can be someone else. Or for that matter, even if you are a prostitute, you can still be a good friend to someone. You can still be someone fun and good and healthy to hang out with. The world is, you know, again, it's there are all kinds of people in the world. So my mother, she didn't think of that. She coming back, coming from that very conservative background, she's like, prostitute means this. That was her instant knee-jerk reaction. And I'm like, that's not cool. You're I love my mom so much, and my mom is such an incredibly sweet, incredibly gracious person that that opinion was very jarring to me. I was like, no, mm. you're wrong, and here's why. And we discussed that. And I needed her to change that opinion because it is so inconsistent with her character. It is not necessary that she agrees with me, but it, when it's so something so fundamental to your character, like how you treat people, how your opinion changes when you find out that they are perhaps a prostitute or whatever. My mother did change her opinion about that. She was like, okay, I get it now. She was carrying that very... I think very conservative, very things that she had seen on movies that they they how they portray them in Bollywood films, and she was worried what kind of influence she would have on me. And then she realized that a prostitute who is now fighting to become a lawyer, working so hard to pay her debt, is probably gonna have a an excellent influence on her somewhat spoiled daughter. So, so she was <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that that is a good friend to have. So I think it it's so it's some it says something about your character. That's why it was mm. important for me that she agree with me because it it impacts. I respect my mother so much. It plays into that whole narrative. But if she had she not agreed with me, we would have been like, okay, let's never talk about this again. And when it comes to your inner circle, people whose opinions you value, first of all, you have to be very careful of who these people are, who you let into that inner circle. And then valuing their opinion simply means that you have to always consider it. And have that conversation if you have divergent opinions on something and something and if it's something important. So maybe another way of getting into a different facet of this topic is asking you, when was the last time you changed your mind about something important? And what was it that changed your mind? I think it was I started making business decisions. I have struggled a lot with running my business. I think I still do. There are still areas where I like marketing is still very much a struggle for me. Self-promotion is something I it can become tacky very quickly in my opinion. So you have to be yeah. there's a you have to be very careful of how far you want to go with that. So I think initially I started, when I started making important decisions, how much money I'm investing, what I'm choosing to do, what I'm choosing to name my podcast, I was, I would consider all the opinions out there, all expert opinions, people who know more than I do. And then there would be my inner voice. I've always listened to my inner voice. I've always allowed my own opinion to hold sway over everyone else's opinions. But this is such an unfamiliar territory for me that I was so scared of getting it wrong and getting it wrong in a way where I end up having to, you know, start over. So I listened to the expert opinion. I remember when I was rebranding my podcast, I allowed the branding agency to tell me how to do things. They picked the name, they picked the artwork and everything. I remember not liking any of it. But I, I let it go. I was like, okay, these people know more than I do. They've rebranded so many shows. They are a premium agency. I spent so much money. And I was, here's the thing. I, while I did not like what we ended up with, the name, the, the artwork, 
I was feeling comfortable because someone else had made the choice. They were the experts. So I was able to feel comfortable about it while I didn't quite like what we had ended up with. Because mm, you trusted their expertise. Also, the onus was on them, sort of. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining yeah. this well or not. I don't think I'm doing Well, because very... you, didn't, you didn't have to feel... Responsible. Yeah. yeah. I, I felt like, yeah. They came up with the, the whole thing. I drowned out my voice and I went with what they said I should do. Three episodes in to that rebranded show, I get this again. And also being female oriented, being focused on women as my audience, that was Mm. also somebody else's idea, not my idea. I was okay with that because of, you know, because I had helped a lot more women and I'd done more, a better job with them. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Let, Let it be. The experts, you know, have decided and all of those things. Three episodes in, I get this email uh, from this other woman. She's like, I have the trademark for the name that you're using. And I was like, what? Are you serious? I just spent so much money on this. And oh my God, that was that was really, really bad. And at the same time, there were other decisions that had been taken in my business based on other people's opinions. I'd spent so much money also in those directions. Some of them were marketing oriented all of those decisions fell apart. Everything, like dominoes, it just started to fall apart. And I was like, what just happened? And that was the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to start listening to my instincts a lot more. I did not feel comfortable with that at all at the time. I, I felt like I was in a in like a battleground because I had such little experience running a business that my instincts, I was like, okay, what are my instincts going to tell me here? I'm just going to choose whatever feels more pleasant to me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was, it's, it continues to be a fight for me, but that was something I, I changed my opinion about. I was like, running a business, you kind of have to take the, you have to listen to what the experts are saying, but you have to also go through this very arduous, very difficult process of also listening to what your instincts are saying, what the experts are saying, what feels viable, and then pick a, a path that gets you to your to the finish line with the least amount of damage and with the maximum amount of good that you can do. No, I think it's a good lesson learned where you went in trusting the expertise yeah. of an agency that you'd paid a lot of money to and realizing that your own gut instinct and preferences ultimately mattered still. Yeah. So Experable is the name I came up with. Where does that word come from or where did you pick that name from? So it's uh, experience the possibilities. So I wanted to go with experiencing possibilities and just combine that into Experable. Ah, nice, nice, nice. Maybe you can also share, though, one of the most impactful stories and lessons from your podcast. Because, Krati, you've spoken with so many intelligent, brilliant experts on your own show. I've got to believe that there's a few memories or stories that stand out to you that maybe something clicked and you changed your opinion or you understood something a little differently. Are there any examples in your recent memory? There's There are many. I don't know if there's one outstanding example. It's been uh, so long um, I've been doing this and every guest teaches me something. But um, I think, like, for example, when I had Kurt Blackson on the show and I asked him, how do you, when you're, when somebody's doing something that you're not okay with, they're behaving badly, 
and they are hurting you in the process. How do you find forgiveness, acceptance towards them? And he told me that everybody has their own story, their own backstory. And they have clearly suffered as well, hurt people, hurt people, the whole thing. A lot of people hold on to that opinion. I've had, because I mostly, my guess, I've been lucky. I've had the most compassionate people onto my show. And that is the the idea they hold on to when they are facing challenges with the people in their life. My problem, I've always had a problem with that. I've, I still continue to have a problem with that. I agree that everybody has that pain in their life. They're dealing with that pain and perhaps in the process lashing out. At the same time, how much do you allow? You kind of have to hold yourself to a higher standard. You know, you also have to hold other people accountable. Letting th- these things slide is how we've ended up where we are as a society now, where people are so quick to dismiss their mistakes. They're so, instead of correcting them, instead of taking ownership, they're so comfortable doing hurtful things and then just sitting back and letting the cards fall where they may and being okay with themselves at the end of the day. If I behave badly, if I hurt someone, I may not realize it in the moment, but if somebody turns around and tells me, you behaved badly, Krati, I'm going to think about it. And if I realize this person is right, I'm going to apologize for it. I'm going to try and do whatever I can to redress that wrong. And even if I don't agree with that person at the end of the day, if I think this person, no, I I did what I thought was the right thing to do, then I'm going to apologize or not apologize. I'm going to still have a conversation about how my actions and my choices hurt their feelings. And I'm sorry that that happened. I may not be sorry about the choice I made, you know. There was... There was an example that really stands out to me because it kind of reminded me of myself, okay? Your January 1st episode with Randy Patterson, Mental Mm -hmm. Wellness in a Misguided and Misinformed World and Thriving in Adulthood. So you asked him, you know, why can't I tell people just to calm down when they're worked up? You know, like what's wrong with saying that? <laughs> and then I immediately laughed and I thought, never in the history of the words calm down has that ever <laughs> calmed down anybody, right? Because yeah. when people are upset and they're saying, I'm so upset, I'm so angry, or I'm so yeah. sad, whatever it may be, they're not actually looking for a solution. They just want to, they're actually being vulnerable. They're saying, yeah. I am not in my comfort zone right now and I'm revealing that to you. But what I need is someone to repeat back what I'm saying to make sure I'm making sense. And also just to say, yeah, you sound really pissed off or you sound really scared, whatever it may be. And I thought that was something I could relate to. Just that (laughs) sense of why doesn't it work when we just say to ourselves, calm down or get, you know, uh, stop being angry or stop being disturbed or get over it. And I think ultimately it's because we have to process Mm -hmm. our feelings and it, it takes more than a split second. And it's not pleasant because we know We know instinctively and intellectually that we can get to the other side and we can get through the emotion. We're just like, come on, come on, get through the, get through the mess. Stop, stop it. But the only way out is through that unpleasantness, whether it's sadness or skin. And so does that resonate with you? What I'm saying, does that sound like something that you've had to reflect on or that you've had to teach clients that you work with even? I think you've put it beautifully, the way you've described it. That's beautiful. That's definitely, I think you're, I agree with you. You're right. Again, this is where the difference between how you would react when you're dealing with a client versus how you would react when you're dealing with a friend or a family member comes in. When I am dealing with a client, I would never tell them to calm down. That's the opposite Mm -hmm. of being helpful. They'll feel very judged just with those words, calm down. You're judging them. You're telling them you're being too much. Stop it. That's not okay. You can't do that. 
Um, the same thing applies to friends also. But when my, like, if it's my mom and I, if she's, she's, her volume is getting really loud, the problem with that is we're both getting very emotional now. My thing is I will check out of a conversation the moment you raise your voice. You're not my client. I'm not being paid to hold space for you here. I love you, which also means that I get to also make my needs be known. With a client, it's all about the client. They get to have their needs be met and just their needs. That's it. In a personal conversation, it's different. So I will tell my mom or my friend, calm down, step off the ledge. You're on a very, like you're being very reactive. You're in a safe space. Relax. We're going to figure this out. So my, with my mom, I would usually tell her, we're, we're here, mom. It's okay. We'll take our time with this. You don't have to be so, you know, so relax. And also my mother... With my mother, the very there is a very real cons- concern about her blood pressure. <laughs> so, which now oh, no. is, is the case with even young friends. I don't know if this is something that's happening where you are living, but in India, very young people are dying. Forty-year-old people are just falling on like treadmills and on the street oh, wow. with a heart attack. So. I do not feel safe when people raise their volume. And when I don't feel mm-hmm. safe, I'm not someone who's going to slink off into a safer corner. I'm going to fight back. So I, I, but I'm not someone who would raise a voice. I would be like, okay, let's take it down a notch. This is not helpful. You're hurting yourself being so loud and being so, uh, acting from this very emotionally reactive place. And then we'll figure it out. Also, there's, when people, if it's a, if it's if you're on the on two different sides of that argument, then there is a very real possibility when you're that emotionally reactive, you're gonna say things that you will not be able to take back, but you will regret them. Hundred percent. That is absolutely true. So my instinct is also to because there are such few people in my life that I value that are part of my inner circle. My instinct is also to protect that relationship. I don't want to lose these people. So my instinct is to okay, we're gonna now behave in very badly. We're all about to behave badly. Let's all walk away and we'll come back later when we're all feeling way calmer. So I don't know if that helps, but what you've said, I think that is 100% correct. You have to get through it by getting through it. You have to process it. And this is why I think we all need our own tribe, our own kind of people, because they know what we need and they know how to provide that to us. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So there was a topic I'm really curious about. Mm -hmm. You haven't specifically mentioned it in so many words on your podcast, but I think you've probably talked about it or around it. And that's the idea of emotional sublimation. And that's the process of channeling or redirecting a really intense emotion into something that's productive or socially acceptable. So some examples might be someone who's really angry. They might like running or boxing to release Mm -hmm. those emotions. Someone who's going through grief or sadness might decide to start painting or writing poetry to kind of process things. Is there anything that you either do yourself to sublimate powerful emotions or you recommend that clients learn about themselves so that they practice some of these these experiences or these activities that might help them process really big, scary emotions, to be fair. Yeah, I think it depends. Some people are very destructive when they're being very emotionally reactive. Some people just want to talk it out and they can contain those very violent emotions in that little space where it all is being exercised through conversation, through words. And maybe they'll cry at the most but some people can be very destructive. For people like that, it is important for you not to react in those moments. I, I 
really believe that you can if you can do damage to someone else and damage that you cannot undo and more often than not that's the case you can't undo emotional damage in those cases i think it is it is good to run it is good to do whatever you have to do and come back to it later apart from everything else you're also not going to have all that much clarity when emotions are clouding your mental space to that extent you're so overwhelmed mm-hmm. you're also not very capable of considering whatever it is that you're dealing with from any perspective other than your own in that moment so it's it's not productive it's not helpful but if you are someone capable of getting that energy out of your system without hurting anyone else by all means do that i think that's th- that's a good idea you should do that uh, and then once you've got it all out before you be objective you give yourself that pleasure of just being all emotion i think there is there is a joy to that even when you are sad even when you are angry getting all of that out of your system that can be that can feel pleasurable so give yourself that joy but yes if you can do damage irrevocable damage to yourself or to someone else and walk away you know you you take, mm-hmm. get it out of your system some in some other way let's talk a little bit about what's next for you krati so what are you interested in next and who do you want to work with as a coach what are some key questions people should ask themselves if they if they want to reach out to you potentially as as a coach Okay so I am going to be focusing more on my writing. I'm starting a Substack this month um and I'm also working with publications to get my articles out there. So that is something I'm excited about. I want to write provocative content that compels people to think, to perhaps reconsider their um whatever beliefs that they've held up to this point in their life or reconsider or sort of start poking holes into their conviction. even if those holes don't uh, stay for for all that long and they those convictions they come back together again but just sort of start examining them from different perspectives i want to be able to do that for people i think that is helpful i respond to content that can make me do that um that is strong content so i want to i want to generate that i think that would make me feel good about myself if i can do that work So that is something I'm focusing on and I'm also opening up my calendar and taking in um coaching clients again. That will I think that will happen in another week or so. And the the kind of people I want to work on are people who are very mission oriented. They are ready to take action, they're ready to rumble and they're ready to make some some very enduring change in their life. I don't think I want to work with people who just want short-term gains. because i don't know how to talk to people like that uh the kind of work that i do the kind of coaching that i provide is meant for deeper enduring transformations so if mm-hmm. before if i what i've shared up to this point if it resonates with you if you think i'm someone who gets your view of the world then in that case before you book a session uh i would want you to ask if you are willing to take feedback if you are willing to be held accountable if you are comfortable having all of your ideas all of your convictions challenged in a compassionate non-judgmental way of course but if you and you're willing to take to follow up every thought with some action big or small i think that is important and if those things make you uncomfortable and those are i think I think those are strong statements and some people get instantly uncomfortable when words like feedback, accountability and change, action, transformation these things are mentioned. Some people there is an energetic reaction to that, so try and read that if it doesn't feel pleasant, if it doesn't feel good, perhaps I'm not the person for you. I do know that there are people out there who are able to create change without those those elements. 
And I mm-hmm. hats off to those people that they can do that. I think they are people with considerably more, um, I think, what, what, what do I want to use here? I don't want to say patience, um, but I think they, they have tactics they, that they have mastered that allows them to do that. I am more action oriented. I am more feedback accountability oriented. So I would definitely say that consider that before you sign up with me. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's <laughs> fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. And you are very, very good at your job. So it was such a pleasure talking to you. If you love access ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas. Access Ideas.